Welcome to another episode of Becoming Unfuckwithable with your host, Mindy Harley. Warning, listening to this podcast might cause you to shatter your limited beliefs, recognize your potential and motivate you to be the best you can be. Other side effects may include, but not limited, to grabbing life by the balls, taking no crap from anyone, becoming an unstoppable force at various aha moments to get you thinking outside the box. Welcome to another episode of Becoming Unfuckwithable. I'm your host, Mindy Harley. And today I have with me none other than the publisher of Industry Giant, Muscle Insider Magazine, and one of the most sought-after sports supplement marketing gurus, Mr. Scott Welch. Now guys, grab a pen, grab a notepad, and be ready to take some notes. Scott dropped a lot of incredible knowledge on this episode, and I'm so excited to share it with you guys. All right, thank you everyone. We are back with another episode of Becoming Unfuckwithable, and today I have with me Scott Welch, and Scott is known in the fitness industry and the supplement industry as the guru, the go-to guy for all brands, for marketing, and becoming the best in the industry. This is the man they go to. He has a wealth of knowledge. Uh, I like to consider him a walking Google. The man literally knows everything there is to know about the industry. This has been his passion, and he's been following it, and he is quite the man to have in your corner if you're in the fitness industry. So, Scott, thank you very much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, and it's an honor. Well, I have to say, after an intro like that, I don't know how I will uh, keep up with that, but thanks very much for the nice words. Oh, no, credit where credit is due. So, (laughs) So, you know... As I, as I introduced, you know, like this was, you were super passionate about the fitness industry right from the get-go. And I think for a lot of people, you know, finding their passion early on um, is, is quite a fortunate thing to, to stumble upon. And, you know, what did the evolution, you know, of your career in the industry teach you? And for those who have settled in on their passion, what advice would you give to those who want to actually go and make a career out of it? You know, I've never been one to chase after money. I think the key is for you to find something you absolutely love, and then you will be able to make a career of it. Uh, Years ago, Bob Kennedy said the famous, um, if you can find a career where you can make a living from your hobby, you'll never work a day in your life. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he took that from somebody, but um, someone like Robert Kennedy who put together Muscle Mag and Oxygen, I felt that was good advice. Um, I think that if you really look at the – if you have to work 2,000 hours in a year and you have to work till you're 65 and you leave school at 25, you've got 45, 40 years of work at 2,000 hours a year, you're going to spend a lot of time at it. Um, in reading the four-hour work week, it takes usually – 10,000 hours to become an expert at any one topic. So if you get into bodybuilding as you have or as your husband is and you do it really, really well and really, really often, eventually you get very good at it. And it doesn't matter if you're playing piano, guitar, or you're bodybuilding, you eventually get very good at it. So the longer you're able to stay in it, the more of an expert you can become as long as you have the passion to um, 
to really follow it and, and, and enjoy the process, uh, you'll get smarter and smarter or, you know, more fit and more fit and uh, eventually, you know, be able to uh, make a living off of that. So I say follow the passion. If you, if you really absolutely love this, then, uh, then get into it. Um, you have to look back at what, how are you going to get there? Uh, I think there's a lot of people who are delusioned to think that they're going to make millions to train on Venice Beach and get paid to do that. The business of that maybe happened in the 70s with Arnold and Franco and people like that. But, you know, the industry has changed quite a bit since those days. And so athletes have to build their own brand. Uh, trainers have to build their own brands. Uh, look at people like yourself building your brand and phenomenal uh, podcasts and things like this. It's all about um, being your own media platform and, uh, you know, and adding value to the customers, teaching them things, and uh, being able to get smarter yourself so that you can offer more and more in the future for uh, for different companies and uh, building your brand. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with that. And I think no matter what industry you're pursuing, it's, I think, you know, it, it's, you always have to be, it's, it's great to be known as the guru, but I mean, the learning will never stop. You know, you always have to constantly be learning and be always the student, no matter what. That's right. Yeah, you know, so no matter, I think it's, I think there's a lot of grind time and I think a lot of people don't, you know, we live in, we definitely live in a an age where everyone wants everything right away, you know, and they don't realize, you know, overnight successes are usually 10 years in the making. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. I think it was Red Bull was, uh, I think it was manufactured 14 years before it was in America. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes with a lot of companies. Um, we were at a Jay Cutler seminar not too long ago, and uh, he said everybody knows Jay Cutler as the, you know, Mr. Olympia champion but nobody realizes that i think his first outing at the olympia i think he was 15th you know <laughs> yeah nobody yeah. remembers those, those defeats that he had in the past um everyone remembers him as who he is these days not realizing he said i was the one who was struggling uh he said i had debt you know went through a divorce i had my dog died he said he just had a lot of setbacks but uh, we oftentimes remember uh, only what we want to remember that reinforces these fantasies of success. So uh, definitely uh, there's always a long road behind it. Yeah, there absolutely is. You know, and especially like you said, time, times have definitely changed and you know, you got you to keep ahead of the curve. And I know with yourself being the founder of Muscle Insider magazine, vastly successful magazine online both online and in print you know and you guys have to keep up with information as it comes in and you know highlighting of course you know the victories and everything that's going on in the industry now we also know that the way that people have consumed their information has greatly changed too and yeah. you know as i said you guys are distributed in print and you guys do have the website with a vast following on social media as well how important would you say of a role has social media been to Muscle Insider in leading the conversation? And, you know, we, we get a little romantic about print, but where do you see the future of print? You know, these are always great questions, and some of the biggest uh, magazine conglomerates are debating the future themselves. So you and I aren't going to solve those or predict those um, because of some of the best minds in the world 
are still debating on where is that going to end. Is it going to be that print magazines are obsolete? Uh, is the book obsolete? You know, is the Bible obsolete? I mean, did television make radio extinct? I mean, you had the theater of the mind in radio replaced by sound and visual. You, at that time, the great, uh, the media greats at that time thought that the uh, television would actually make radio completely obsolete. But we're yeah. on a radio podcast right now. Yeah. So media, <laughs> media does not die, it transforms. Mm-hmm. So we look at um, the internet is the greatest media, uh, you know, innovation that allows us to hear sound and see visuals and also share information through social media. So that is an evolution. I mean, now, I mean, you don't see blockbuster videos. I mean, uh, they're around uh, bankrupt, but that doesn't mean people aren't watching movies. Are movie theaters going to close down? Well, that doesn't mean movies are going away. I'm seeing now 4D movies and, um, you know, air conditioning, huge, huge screens. And we're just seeing the movie theater change. I think that um, we're seeing Netflix using the internet to do the movie thing, but do it in the convenience of your home. And so yeah. the movies aren't changing. It's just the platform. So the the question really becomes is what is the future of print? And, um, you know, what I look to is the leading fitness magazines in the world of men's health, men's fitness, shape, women's health. These are the biggest fitness magazines in the world and the advertisers that they're able to attract and the millions and millions of dollars they're able to generate are, are a sign that there is a, a benefit to this, that immediately that consumers can become aware of something. Uh, one of the advantages of print is the credibility. And in an era with fake news, fake news, fake news, uh, you have a, an instant credibility. When people read something in print, they, they believe that there's more credibility behind that. Now, if I want to prove that there's more prestige than that, I could ask you, if, would you rather see your picture on a Facebook wall or in a magazine? Yeah, uh, I mean, that's definitely husband. the gold standard there, being in a magazine. Uh, and dealing with C.T. Fletcher and uh, Dana Lynn Bailey, uh, a lot of these people who are social media celebrities, when you immediately contact them and ask, like we did with C.T. Fletcher, we were the second magazine to ever put him on a cover, and he said the only magazine that did was five years ago, Powerlifting SA, put him on the cover. Huh. And these people that are digital sensations, print makes them tangible heroes that uh, have clout and credibility. And when you see a person on the cover of a magazine, even better is you see them on the cover of a book. This is something that's permanent, and it's not something that uh, is just going to be deleted when, you know, somebody hacks into your account. Um, now, the question really is, uh, for us, Muscle Insider needs social media because it allows us to build our brands to a wider audience. The Internet allows us to hit the entire world. And uh, print, we only distribute in Canada, and we distribute that through multiple supplement stores as well as the Chapters and Indigo bookstore chains because bookstores have the highest amount of sales in print because people who go to bookstores love print. But our model is different than any other magazine. We distribute through supplement stores, and what happens is when a consumer buys a supplement, they get a free copy of the magazine. So it's allowing the consumer 
store to have something they can give to the consumer, but it also allows us to showcase some of the products that are inside the stores where the same magazine is in. The same model is done in the U.S. with uh, Muscle and Performance, that vitamin shop. So this mm-hmm. model has been done for years in Europe. European supplement distributors often own their own magazines, uh, and this is a method that we applied here in Canada. It's become successful, but we're also on iTunes with uh, iPad subscriptions, and we also do um, our website. So typically the way we break that is timeless news goes in the magazine. So how to train abs, how to train chest, you know, hit cardio, explain. This is, car- this is timeless information. We don't put gossip and time-sensitive information in the magazine. Time-sensitive ma- information, um, you heard uh, Peter McGuff left muscular development and went to flex. Well, that just happened. So when it happens, we drop everything, we get it out there. That is where we use the advantage of speed. Uh, and the Internet is the best method to be able to transmit that information. Um, we do not use the magazine for stuff that's old news by the time somebody reads it. It's more on the teaching, the training, et cetera. So we take advantage of the media. So will magazines be around in five years or 10 years? Well, there's certain things they could be doing to get out of business quicker. And magazines like uh, Exercise for Men Only, Natural Bodybuilding and Fitness, Men's Exercise, these magazines um, have been shut down, out of business, bankrupt because they didn't adapt to a changing consumer and uh, they didn't, uh, you know, do follow where the consumer was going and uh, give better added value to the advertisers. So really get that Uh, major change we've done is moved away from putting the hard, hardcore bodybuilder on the front cover, like Ronnie Coleman's and Bill Heath and people like that. And we've done different people that are social media celebrities, uh, in order to allow us to use the power of social media to um, help bring our brands to the next level. Uh, so that's kind of some of the changes we've done to evolve with the times. But, um, you know, it's constantly a, you got to keep be willing to change your product in order to fit the trends that are happening in the world. Yeah, no, that's absolutely it. I mean, it's, it's ever-changing and evolving, you know, and you just got to be willing to go with it and, see how, you know, how the, what the market is responding to, you know, and other than that, yeah, like you said, if people don't embrace that, then they'll be closed down sooner than uh, what they, what they hope for. So. Yeah. The, the key is that it's not really, I mean, you have the next generation there, the millennials are very into social media, very into Snapchat, etc. And you have um, the people who are from the print era, you know, and you have the people in between, and, and it's always a constant debate. And if you can just go on to social media and you take your product and you do a post on it, is that going to increase the sales? Uh, is that all you need? I mean, what we believe in is a multimedia approach. So it's not just about print. Uh, it's about print plus social media, plus sampling, plus videos. Um, these are the kind of programs that are more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really finding a consumer who loves email blasts are not necessarily a consumer who has an iPad and does digital subscriptions to a magazine. Yeah. Those are both digital people. If you look at the statistics, it's a surprisingly small number of people that cross over that way. Um, so we digitalize our magazine onto our website, but there's some people 
that don't own an iPad and do not get digital subscriptions that way. But everyone thought that the iPad um, and e-readers would be the answer for print because you could integrate video inside a page-turn style magazine. It hasn't worked out in the marketplace to be as lucrative as, as the publishers expected it to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, it's, it's always a constant evolution. I mean, and um, we do a lot of videos with athletes, and, uh, you know, it's great. But, um, you know, that is changing as well because, you know, where is the advertising dollars going to be and what do you need to do to get the views and what uh, kind of stuff do the advertisers want to pay for? And you're yeah. always, as a publisher, you're balancing where the consumer's at and where the advertiser's at to, to find a, a happy medium so that uh, both, both parties are satisfied. Yeah, absolutely. You really need to have all of your bases covered because you don't know, you know, how – yeah, everyone's different in how they consume their information. So it's really important to make sure that you've got everything, you know, cohesive with that, with what you're going to be offering them for how they're going to be, you know, reading reading the material, you know, checking up on, you know, the what's coming up and up to the minute, or is it the timeless information or the advertising? So, yeah, it's it's a smart strategy that you have, and it definitely seems to be working for you for sure. That's you know, um, you guys, you guys are everywhere, and even like as you said, you know, you guys um, you travel a lot, and you know, just recently, just last weekend at the Omaha Pro, you know, it was, we have Muscle Insider here, and I'm like, oh my, oh geez, Muscle Insider is here taking photos. I wonder who they sent down. <laughs> so, but yeah, you guys, you guys are everywhere, and I mean, you cover so much contest coverage. You're the, you're one of the only magazines in Canada, and possibly besides uh, NBC News Online that cover so many competitions. So you guys have, must have an incredible roster of staff by now. Um, you know, and when, you're, when you guys are going through the hiring process, it, it's such a fast-paced industry. What's the one must-have quality you look for in a potential employee for Muscle Insider? Um, you know what? These are great questions. Uh, before we get on that, one of the things, um, we are the only magazine in Canada that covers the shows. That's a myth. The only one. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Another magazine in Canada who covers them. You have the uh, Status Magazine is a BC-based magazine. They'll sometimes put a few p- uh, photos on their website from a Alberta show or, or a BC show. Aside from us, there's no one else that I'm aware of in Canada that covers them. We cover um, all ISUB sanctioned contests in Canada. Usually that's about 52 shows a year. We cover the Arnold. uh, We do usually Arnold Australia, Arnold Hong Kong we won't do because it's been canceled. Um, We'll do the uh, NPC Nationals, the USA's um, North American Championships, the Omaha, as you said, um, most of John Lindsay's shows through California. I'd say each year we do about 100 shows. And wow. what we do is um, we have local photographers in each state, um, and we call on them for each country that we're going to cover a show in, say it's an Arnold Brazil or um, an Arnold Spain, uh, Arnold South Africa, and uh, we get the photos uh, uploaded to us, and then we'll – put them up as soon as we can, uh, usually within, you know, a few hours of receiving the files. Uh, with social media, we're constantly 
uh, telling consumers about the IFB show. So that's a big endeavor. I mean, to do a yeah. contest a year, and um, our team is six staff. So huh. we don't have more than that, and we're 100% virtual. And the reason we are that way is because we believe the future of print is treating ourselves like a, like a website. So if I asked you, where's the head office GoDaddy, I don't know if you could tell me. Um, <laughs> so we treat ourselves like a website would. Um, our magazine is printed in Winnipeg. Our, oh, really? Our, our art director is based in um, Cambridge, Ontario. Our editor-in-chief is in Miami. Our proofreader is in Toronto. Right now, our sales uh, is in Vancouver and Alberta, and our accounting is in Northern Ontario. And this is the future. We have science writers in England. We have um, writers all over the world. And uh, what connects us is the technology of the Internet. So we are not a print magazine where we all pile into an office. We're 100% virtual, and we embrace social media to make us better. But we um, are continuously changing and refining our, our strategy to get, keep costs down while passing on value to, the, to our advertisers and educating and informing the consumer with science. Um, we don't really like to go outside. We never use sex to sell. We don't believe in it. We constantly um, will never do a hot and fit or any of that stuff because that's not our brand. Our no, brand yeah. is uh, using science. Uh, we don't shy away from steroids and growth hormone and performance-enhancing drug discussions because we feel it's a part of bodybuilding, competitive bodybuilding, and it's a part of people who don't compete that want to look great. So we believe we should find the science of how to use them as safely as possible, not to say that they're safe, 100%, but uh, we also, um, you know, we we give the information that the consumer needs to know because this is these are the questions they have, and we feel that we are here to help educate them and inform them uh, so that they can do it uh, safely. And a lot yeah. of that, that that information is just isn't there. No, it it really isn't, and I mean, you guys do do a great job of providing the facts and the science behind everything. You know, I've read through the articles. Um, you recently brought on uh, Victoria, um, I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce her name right, Fel- Felkar? Okay. Yes, yep. yes. And okay. she's very um, knowledgeable in that area as well. So. And Darren Mailing, one of your first guests. Yes, <laughs> Darren Mailing. Yeah. Another source of information that uh yeah when yourself and him when the when either of you speak you know you listen so (laughs) yeah the um one thing that we look for with our team is uh there's two things one is passion if they do not love fitness they aren't going to work out really well here because we're all nuts i mean i'm right now sipping on uh, amino cuts <laughs> from <Walmart. laughs> Uh I'm drinking this, uh, and uh, I use all our advertisers' products because that's what I believe in. I'm, I'm a supplement nut. And uh, so they have to have a passion for body, like an obsession for bodybuilding, fitness, and supplements. And the second thing is, is they have to be hardworking. And uh, the way your parents raised you, we can't teach work ethic. If you yeah. either were raised 
to learn how to get your hands dirty and work, or you were raised with an easy lifestyle, and I grew up in a middle-class family and worked my butt off, and all the people that we work with have uh, an unmatched work ethic. So, I mean, if we go and continue to grow the business, uh, we grow it for pure uh, love of what we do. Uh, there's not, it's not easy. It's not as fun. I mean, what you see online with us traveling, it's not what we market. This is just part of what we market is, hey, we're out there hustling. We're out there trying. We're enjoying what we do. But um, there's the other in-betweens, you know, the, the other, the downfalls that uh, we don't do a post on losing an advertiser. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, of course, we do talk about the ones we gain. Uh, or if we um, lose a staff member, uh, we don't, you know, this is sad times. I mean, it's sad for us because we treat it like it's a family business, so, and, and it is a family business. So. Yeah, yeah. And it's definitely, I mean, you you can tell that family vibe off of it, and especially now knowing that, you know, you, you have six people that are really your staff like that. So, I mean, that's, that's really tight-knit, you know. So, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm going to, because, because you actually mentioned here, you know, with the, with the traveling and the extents of, you know, how much traveling that you guys do. I know that you and your wife, Janet, also, um, you know, that you guys probably are going to seminars. I, you know, I see that you're going to expos and, and constantly learning in the industry, you know, and attending these events and everything, you know, the Toronto Pro just happened to. Um, do you guys have any rituals that help you stay organized and, you know, mentally charged, you know, with such hectic work hours, you know, what, what do you guys do to, to stay on top of things? Uh, Janet, uh, my wife, is the most organized person I've got the privilege to ever work with, and uh, she keeps us organized. Um, she ensures that we're always, you know, checked in properly and we're, we know where we're going, um, and that uh, as a business, we're not being irresponsible with some of our costs and and. That's where I, you know, I'm not as good with these kind of things. Um, and uh, in terms of a ritual, I mean, nothing that I can think of that wouldn't be. I mean, we try. We're not as diligent as as uh, you and Sean in terms of um, weighing out all your food and you know getting all the Tupperware <laughs> things like that. I mean, I know exactly how to do that. I know what is involved in it. Um, we try to prepare the best we can, but um, you know, to us. It's, uh, it isn't as important for us um, personally, uh, unless yeah. you're in a phase where you really want to lose weight. But sometimes it's tough, you know, when you're entertaining a company and the company, the person you're meeting with isn't into fitness at all, but um, they want to go and, uh, you know, try some Chicago pizza. And what are you supposed to do? Bring your Tupperware out? And, yeah. <laughs> you have to. Oh, oh everyone else eats pizza? <laughs> Yeah, it's not really. It's okay when you're hardcore and you got your jug of water and you're, you know, and and it's, you know, you're going for the game. It's yeah. very different when you're sitting across from someone who isn't into this kind of stuff because the people we deal with own the companies or they're in charge of the marketing campaigns. So we don't want them to have them feel like we're judging what they eat. Um, and uh, sometimes when you're on pre-workouts all day and you're trying all the other companies' products on the expo floor. And you've done that all day long, having not a solid meal except rest of thin because you've been in an expo for 12 hours. At the end of it, sometimes you just want to go away from it and, uh, you know, have a steak, you know, and not worry yeah. about uh, if, uh, 
uh, the, is the filet mignon have the bacon wrapped around it or not? Because that's saturated fats on that, and that's going to cause receptive downgrade. <laughs> it's going to totally like, pick apart the meal before it even gets to you. Yeah, yeah, you know. So it's all it's all put in balance. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you need to be eating well in order to have the energy to do so. Um, so that's. That's my long answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, no worries. Yeah, no, that's it's good to hear. And I mean, there's definitely, like you said, there's there's balance there. You know, she takes care of a lot of things that you said that you know are not exactly your strongest points on there. And yeah, she's definitely, uh, definitely from what I from what I've seen a little bit that I've met with her, she's very very on top of things and precise with uh, being on time and you know that same amount of enthusiasm all the way through. So yeah, no, definitely. Definitely a fan of your wife. She's an amazing woman. Um, Thank you. Yeah, uh, you know, and with uh, you just mentioned, you know, the you said the Arnold Sports Festival in Asia was canceled, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. you know, and they're you know they, they almost had every corner of the earth covered, and there's you know I always see more IFBB pro shows being added. Um, here in the here in the states, but I mean probably even more so around the rest of the world. What country, you know, with your in your opinion, would you say has the most untapped talent that you think will be a breakout country for the sport of bodybuilding? For the sport of bodybuilding, I'd say the Middle East with the crew yeah. and the Oxygen Gym group um, that has more money, more access to drugs more access to uh, uh, amazing equipment and um, a lot of money. That is where the, the best talent could come from. However, the marketing of those people over there, getting that marketing here is very difficult. So it really depends on how you weigh it. Um, Phil Heath is not going to lose the Olympia. He's going to win 10 Olympias. There's nobody in the ranks coming, climbing up who can come close to the perfect genetic structure and everything that he does have. So he's at six now. He has four more to go. It's not gonna. I don't see anyone beating him. The um, in terms of the business of bodybuilding, I think you have to look at Asia, uh, China, Hong Kong, that area. Mm-hmm. I think you have to look at uh, India. Uh, these are the India. largest uh, growing markets for sports nutrition products, and for the sport of bodybuilding, there's a ton of money. There's a ton of people. Uh, we're seeing um, the expos like uh, Body Power going over to India, and um, we're seeing uh, you know some of the other giants uh, that happen to do expos going over those ways. So there's a ton of money in the Middle East, in Asia, in India. Those are the three countries I'd say uh, from a business perspective, you'll see the greatest amount of increase in bodybuilding uh, over there. But the word bodybuilding is changing form. So when I say bodybuilding as a magazine for Muscle Insider, we look at it as the business of, I guess, building your body. So if you're going to build your body, and maybe for Sean Harley, he wants to look a certain way. Now, if you could give Sean a pill that would have him only live five more years, and he will be the Mr. Olympia, and he will beat Phil Heath, and he'll look as big as Phil Heath, I personally don't think he would want to look like that. No. Because <laughs> wants to look like that. It's not about if he could. And, and a lot of yeah. the guys that are huge say, well, he could never. Well, 
it doesn't matter even if he could. Now, rightly, I don't think Jeremy Bondia, who's the reigning Mr. Olympia men's physique, I do not think he, no matter how much money was involved, would actually ever want to look like Big Ramy or would want to look like um, Kai Green or uh, Phil Heath. I don't think he his goal has ever been to want to look like that. And I don't yeah. think he, being the height of uh, of um, Flex Lewis, would ever want to actually be looking like him. But um, in bikini, bikini competitors want to look a certain way. Uh, women's physique, girls don't want to look like competitors of bikini. And vice versa, mm-hmm. they have different goals. And I yeah. think what people are wrong is thinking that, um, oh, well, a bodybuilder, uh, you know, a huge guy. Like I know a few guys that are, you know, 270, 280. If you ask them if they want to look like Sean Harley, they would say absolutely not. I don't care that he's a great pro, and I don't think care that he won this show or that, or he's on covers. It doesn't matter to me. I want to look this way. I want to be like, I want to be 300 pounds ripped, and if I could be 310, I'd be 310. But that's their goal of their image of what they want to look like. And yeah. when you show them the picture of a successful runway model or Brad Pitt with his shirt off, they wouldn't want to look like that if, even if they could look like it. It's so I think where people have to realize is that bodybuilding is building the body that you want for your image. And that means, say, it's, uh, hey, I want to look like a men's physique type guy, or do I want to look like classic men's physique, uh, like the bodybuilding used to be in the 70s, or I want to be uh, a larger larger size. because, And I think the IFB has recognized They've stopped thinking that everyone wants to be Mr. Olympia bodybuilding, <laughs> and they've created multiple divisions, because not because there's more money in it, but because they're losing people, realizing not everybody wants to be that body type. They don't have the genetics to be that. They're smaller, shorter, narrower shoulders, whatever, but they yeah. don't want to. Even if they could, they wouldn't want to be that way. And I think that that's helped the industry grow because now we have different body types that people can go after. And uh, that just keeps the sport interesting because now there's more opportunities for people with different uh, different genetic structures. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's funny, too, I don't think it's been introduced here yet in the States, but overseas, like in Europe, they have that new category, which is even um, less muscle mass than men's physique and bikini. It's that, like, they call it, like, the fit. Fit, fit model or something. I saw some uh, information going on around on that before, but um, there was a little bit of controversy. I saw a lot of um, people in the industry were kind of flabbergasted at the um, at the introduction of a new category. But it's for I think it's currently for Europe right now. But yes, that's right. Europe um, with the ICB, the ICB is divided by the ICB Amateur League and the ICB Pro League. And a lot of times people think it's all ICB, but it's actually not. Um, the Pro League is a completely different business, a compl- like, like incorporation-wise. It's a very completely different governing sport, different president that's in charge of that, uh, being Jim Mannion. And the Amateur League is a completely different business, based in Madrid, Spain, and it's ran by Rafael Santoja. He's mm-hmm. in charge of that. And so what happens in Europe is you have NABA, you have the WBFF, you have a series of different organizations over there. The NSL has popped up and some others. And so over there, there's a lot of different smaller federations that exist 
that some of which, like NAB, has been around for a long, long time. And so some of the trends that happen in Europe with these types of classes are very, very interesting for those people in Spain and for France and, and, and Portugal and places like that. So sometimes when you see that over here and we see glimpses of it because the Internet's wiring us to allow us to see amateur shows that are happening at the Arnold Amateur mm-hmm. We start to look at this and say, oh, my, what's this? Like, I think, um, I forget the I think it's men's classic physique and men's classic bodybuilding. I think they're actually the same thing. It's just two different names for it. Um, uh-huh. To make it a little bit more interesting, or or not, or, is uh, <laughs> different, slight different uh, variations in, like, how a side tricep would be displayed. You know, between yeah. them. And I think it's a one is a half turn, one's a three-quarter turn. Um, so there's different or quarter term, but anyways, that uh, there has been outcry. I think the one you're talking about was the one where the guys were walking down the runway or the stage yeah. in that sleeveless shirts. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That was it. That was it. <laughs> yeah, that got some uh, online attention, but um, yeah, I think that uh, it's definitely will that translate over here? Who knows? I mean, in the future, it's hard to say. I think one thing that would be really cool is um, if there was an athletic fitness component to these routines. I think back in the day, um, I believe it was Bob Hoffman had this uh, with York Barbell, where 50% of the score was a bodybuilding contest, and the other 50% was an Olympic weightlifting contest. And so you had to look good, but you had to be able to lift a lot of weight. And I yeah. think that, uh, what, can you imagine if uh, that system was done at the Olympia, uh, where... You know, you'd have a bench press loaded up, and you see how many reps can Phil Heath actually do right now besides yeah. uh, Dexter Jackson lifting it, you know, or even if it was body weight for reps, you know, it would be kind of cool to see who could. <laughs> that would be kind of cool. But, and you know what? When I was living in Winnipeg, and this was, um, I did my first competition with the CBDF in figure, and I think it was shortly before that, there was actually a category but they had introduced, I don't know if it got scrapped or what happened with it. My memory is a little bit foggy. And there was, like, a component like that to it. And I think there might have been, like, pull-ups and something else. But I remember thinking, like, holy shit, I have to train for this, too, and get ready. Like, it was kind of like, okay, I've got to do two things here. And it was, yeah, it was in it was in Manitoba, and it was with the CBDF. I'm going to have to dig around. Yeah. Maybe you remember something like that, but I don't know if it, it – obviously, I don't think it went through. I think it got changed, and maybe that was where bikini was shortly introduced. Well, that wasn't shortly yeah, introduced either. It was introduced in 2009, I think. Yeah, that's right. I believe that was the at the either the World Championships um, or the um, World Qualifier. I can't remember, but it was, a, it was like a stair climber, wasn't it? Like on one spot with like a – yeah. A pull up, you had to pull up like a ladder, almost like a Jacob's ladder. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing pictures of that, but that was a yeah, that was exactly the European influence um, for these shows because you had the athletes from all over the world that were competing in it, so they had to have that. Um, uh, I think it was called Women's Fitness Model or something like that. Um, I don't remember, but anyway, but you're right. That's uh, but that that aspect would be interesting. Um, yeah. I believe Dorian Yates is getting involved in something similar to what we're talking about. Um, I think believe that what they're going to do is use computer imaging 
to measure the symmetry of every muscle group. And then oh, on really? top of that, yeah, on top of that, have a um, co- a physical competition based on body weight for reps. Um, the certain quote and quotient, or you had to finish ten reps or something like that. And if you don't finish ten, then the whole set doesn't count. So you got to pick a weight that you can just get ten from, so that it's the highest amount of weight for ten reps. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 then divided by your body weight. So hmm. I mean. It's interesting, Nike sponsoring it too. So it's, yeah. uh, it's very interesting to see where that goes because you're combining this. And I think CrossFit has really led the charge with this cross-functional competitions. And some of those CrossFitters, there's a couple of Netflix movies on now on CrossFit. They've got some great physiques, amazing, amazing midsections and amazing um, bodies for people who aren't training for vanity. It's um, quite uh, quite remarkable, actually. Yeah. Oh, they're definitely definitely both a lot of um I mean aesthetics, like regardless whether or not like you said, whether they're not training for it, but they're definitely sure ending up with it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean everything's like you said there, see everything everything's changing. It's just evolving, moving forward, you know, like you sponsoring this now. So I mean everything else is changing too. You know, the I'm seeing, you know, a lot of stores down here, there was a lot of Retail stores are closing down here in the states. You know, J.C. Penney, um, women's clothing store, uh, DB Clothes are going purely online now. What do you think are your uh, predictions for the future of brick and mortar? You know, GNC had recently closed, reopened with their new strategy. You know, there's online giants like Amazon who are kind of testing the waters, dipping their toes into supplements. You know, and Bodybuilding.com CEO just recently stepped down just after, you know, just over a year in February, laid off 90 employees. What do you think is going to happen with that? Well, you've got a, you mentioned a few good points here that people are watching. The GNC um, reset with their new one, I believe it's called, one mm-hmm. series. Um, I like the idea of it. I really like that there's one price. I've always found that it's very confusing to go and you see a price tag on it, and then you see the gold card members, and then you see another discount price on it, three different prices on it, and then you see one that says BOGO on top of the prices. And yeah. <laughs> I, I always found it very confusing. It was kind of like the Matrix trying to read it. Yeah, totally. So I think that that was good. I uh, was in um, New Orleans a couple weeks ago, and uh, – well, at least it feels like a couple of weeks ago, but that's what New Orleans will do to you. Um, <laughs> and I went to a GNC there and talked to the person that was there. They're going to be doing the sample boxes, subscription samples um, of that, rolling that out. And uh, they're going to have more sample uh, sampling that would happen, more points. Um, they've brought some people in from, um, a, uh, a, I think, a credit card company that did, uh, I think, Air Miles or, or, or some kind of company that did uh, subscriptions based on getting points with your spend. Um, I believe there's also going to be less push because it's, uh, GNC in the U.S. has always been um, six or seven main focus brands that get the lion's share of the push from the staff. And there's been the PMs. We all know about the PMs that mm-hmm. uh, the consumer doesn't often know sometimes uh, uh, the consumer would buy a product and the retail clerk get can get a commission from that and that's um, you know something that uh, you know it works in in many ways 
I think that um, if it's a good product with a good quality and a good retailer like GNC, I think it's uh, it's a win. But um, you know, I would like to see um, you know some more uh, innovation in terms of the uh, different variety of products that come into GNC. Um, but they're in a they're in a bind because you have a lot of companies selling legal illegal ingredients in their products or banned substances in their products or stuff that could become banned very shortly because they found a loophole on getting something that really should have been banned a long time ago. Yeah. So DNC is a very responsible company and they are the largest retailer in the US as for nutrition products. So they have a responsibility to their consumers to keep them safe. Yeah. And uh at the end of the day it's general nutrition center. You know, it's a nutrition yeah. center. So they're they're wanting to provide good honest products. I think that um, when we look at uh, what is the future of bricks and mortar, we have to look at this is the trend of all bricks and mortar. I mean, the story I read last night was on Sears. Um, not sure if they're going to make it long term, and the Bay uh, closing or closing down a lot of stores. BB, as you mentioned, there's a, so many. I think there's 3,000 retailers that are going to be closing in the next six months. Oh, in wow! The US. Even the Bay. Yeah, if uh, they'll, they're going to cut back, uh, I believe they're going to cut back some stores. Um, but uh, the, the the other aspect of it is malls. Malls are going down in foot traffic. People, consumers don't go to malls as much as they did when they were younger or you know, the way our parents went to malls the 80s and 90s. So the real estate prices, though, in those malls are still the same. So the problem is the bricks and mortar stores that are in the malls have to pay the high rent that the mall costs. And then you get a vitamin shop that just has to set up across the street in a lower cost rent area because it's just a plaza and yeah. they can undercut the store because they're not paying the high rent that the that the mall may charge. And if you've ever talked to store owners in malls, it's very expensive to be in a mall and you expect that rent to come with a lot of foot traffic. But go to the malls these days. The malls aren't as busy as they used to be. This is in the U.S. I'm talking about. Um, yeah. And so if malls close down... Uh, have less and less foot traffic, then the types of stores that are going to go in there are going to have to be um, higher margins. So this is why this is uh, bricks and mortar is in a different spot now. In the U.S., the future of bricks and mortar stores now, the consolidation that happened uh, with Lone Star and Europa were the two largest supplement distributors in the U.S., the consolidation of those two together to form one, which was Lone Star and Europa combined, that allows them to be uh, taking the best of the best sales staff, getting rid of some of the ones that maybe weren't as high-performing, uh, merging warehouses, inventory, and just getting more synergies. That yeah. allows them to get the cost down, to allow them to service the bricks-and-mortar stores better. But uh, at the end of the day, the bricks-and-mortar stores need to have items that you can't buy in mass because at the same time of the specialty channel bricks-and-mortar trends that you're seeing – you're also seeing Amazon selling a lot, but you're also seeing, I mean, BodyBlue.com has been selling a lot online. And so now Amazon is at that high level of volume, and it's just escalating at an exponential rate in all goods. But you also have Walmart and Target and Walgreens and CVS and Rite Aid and Eckerd selling yeah. now. So yeah. You get specialty channels getting hit from the mass market Costco's, and they're getting hit from the online at the same time. And so the bricks and mortar stores need to have better service 
They need to have better education. They need to have a wide selection of products, and they need to um, really get the consumer to appreciate the specialty retail shopper. And uh, you wouldn't buy, would you buy your uh, elite skateboard from Walmart? Probably not. If you're an elite skateboarder, you'd want to go to an elite skateboard store or yeah. a surfing store or a surfer. But the key is when you go to the surfer store, I want to see surfing on TV. I want to talk to a surfer and I want to see a beach and I want to see a mural and I want to feel like I'm in a special retail um, that owns that particular hobby. So mm-hmm. I think that that's – but if the bricks-and-mortar retailer designs their store to look like a drugstore or look like what you can get, um, it's going to be dangerous. Yeah. Um, so Definitely. definitely hopefully more that's the, uh, yeah. No, go ahead. No, I say sorry. Hopefully that answers the bricks and mortar aspect. Yeah, <laughs> that's my that's my opinion on the bricks and mortar side. But um, in Canada, we have stores like Popeyes that do a phenomenal job, and Body Energy Club, and some of the other people here in GNC Canada. So we see them doing really well here in Canada. So it's a little different. But the states, um, there's a drugstore on every corner, and uh, there is a lot of more consumers. And 24 hours um, with a lot of the CBSs and things, um, but uh, the Amazon it, it represents a different area, era, sorry. And I think that um, you know, I believe they're the title sponsor, or they're going to be, or the rumor is that they may become the title sponsor of the Olympia. We'll see um, again. <laughs> um, yeah, they were, they were title sponsor last year too, right? Uh, Ultimate Nutrition was the sponsor title sponsor. Uh, I'm sure that Ultimate will probably be title sponsor this year, but I mean, the Amazon's going to be a major sponsor of that again. Yeah. And what was a real big eye, uh, opening last year, a lot of people don't realize this, uh, is that Sam, uh, Sam's Club actually had a booth. So when you have um, Sam's Club is a part of Walmart, you have the largest bricks and mortar, well, chain retailer yeah. in the world coupled with the largest online retailer in the world both at the olympia so that's a real uh, change of the times and huh. uh, that's something that uh, i saw when it happened and uh, that allows the small to mid-sized supplement stores to now have the ability to showcase what they're all about so buyers yeah. from Walmart and buyers from Amazon were walking the floor at the Olympia and seeing what they want to carry because they can see at the booth what's the popularity, what's the breadth of products. Now they have direct access to it. So it's uh, I talked to Robin Chang at the Olympia, what's on the Olympia, and uh, that was a major benefit for all the supplement companies when they heard that Walmart and Amazon would be there this was actually a great selling feature to having a booth at the Olympia. So for all those companies out there who think that they don't need a booth at the Olympia because they can just go and have meetings at the Renaissance, it's not, you got to look at the bigger picture here. Yeah. Building your brand and not just seeing how can I cut a few corners? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Got to spend to make. Uh, And uh, supplement companies are great marketers, but oftentimes, if they can uh, find a way to cut a corner, they uh, they do. And unfortunately, they need to realize that uh, supporting the sport and supporting the consumers is supporting all of it. And there's a lot of benefits that they don't realize are happening behind the scenes yeah. if they do so. Uh, exactly. I had no idea Sam's Club was there, but mind you, I was 
I was there to cheer on Sean competing, so I That's wasn't right. really paying attention to too much boost. But I was actually sitting right behind the, the Muscle Insider crew, so yep, not aware of the rest of the action going on at all. But uh, definitely uh, hope to make it back there again next year or this year rather. But well, let's enough enough about a little bit of the the fitness industry here and the the supplements and the stores and stuff like that. You know, tell me, Scott, what is one of the biggest challenges? you've faced and how did you overcome it um i'd say the biggest challenge i faced is i thought that i could become a pro bodybuilder and at one point be on the olympia stage and uh i didn't know that uh didn't know that that's what i wanted to be i mean i grew up um just obsessed with bodybuilding and read every magazine you could and every book you could and went to the seminars and met all the pros and I even went to get, I got a degree at Ryerson University in nutrition because I thought that'd make me a better bodybuilder and I'd have an edge against the other uh, bodybuilders. That would help me turn pro. The trouble is, and then I knew steroids were involved. So later on, I decided to use steroids because I thought that was the only thing that I wasn't doing because I I was a scientist um, and I was going to become a dietitian. And uh, I realized when I looked back, when I had a trainer in, in Canada at the time was the top. Um, of course, Darren Mailing is the top now in Canada, but um, yeah. the point is at the time I had a trainer and what I didn't realize is I had um, narrow clavicles and I had uh, uh, I did not have a natural V shaper in my skeleton, a V taper in my skeleton. I used to do runway models as a kid. Um, so, uh, I was, uh, I was built like a stick straight up and down and that's why I got into bodybuilding. I wanted to be big and, um, you can't change that bone structure. And the smarter I got where I I finished the degree and the professors that I met in with PhDs in biochemistry and I went, I was, uh, when I was learning from these people and I would then talk to pros and I knew more than the pros did about nutrition and about training because I was obsessed reading medical textbooks on it and learning from some of the best um, trainers in the, in the industry. And I took pharmacology in university. I mean, when I'm taking pharmacology and talking about receptor site downgrade and, you know, these different things, it's at a whole other level than what I'm getting in the gym from, you know, row X. I learned that I did not have the genetics that they had no matter how much drugs I ever would work to take or how many egg whites I ever ate or how many um, hours of sleep I ever got or how many squats I ever did, I would never become on the Olympia stage. And it was uh, it was devastating. I mean, I get choked up uh, thinking about it. Uh, and it wasn't until I did a photo shoot with Muscle Mag where I was formulating a sports nutrition co- uh, product line while I was in my last year of university, a company approached me and asked me to formulate their stuff and I did a photo shoot with Bob Kennedy and all this stuff. And it wasn't a photo shoot like you've done or like Sean's done. I yeah. was the geek with the glasses, with the clipboard, and I was the guy <laughs> standing in front of Scott Milne, who is a high to be pro, who is uh, 340 pounds in the off season. And his first show he ever did, he was 260 on stage at a level one show at uh, age I think, 23. Um, when you see that, and you're barely 260 yourself, and this guy competed at 260 in his very first show, and the articles about how he has the highest um, 
shoulder to waist differential that your your own trainers ever seen. Yeah, you learn yeah. that, and if you stood behind Paul Dillett and you stood behind Flex Wheeler, and if you grab Flex Wheeler on the outside of his deltoid and you feel his shoulder bone, and if you felt his waist where his actual hip bone is, and if you actually measured the two, the distance between those two, you would see that when he dies and his skeleton is laid down, it's going to look very different than a runway, a runway model. It's going to look like a natural gymnast as a, his skeleton. You add muscle <laughs> to that, he will have the genetics that Phil Heath has, Sergio Oliva Jr. has. All these top pros have this type of genetics before they ever touch weights. It's not so much, it's the skeleton. And yeah. that is why I see a lot of pros that are, they don't make it to the nationals. They go year after year. They blame genetics or they blame judging constantly because that's something that they can accept because it's not hurtful because they're not putting themselves down. They're putting someone else down. So they blame the judging. They blame the province. They blame the coach that they have isn't well known. They blame everybody but what's in the mirror. But what they should do is look at what they had before they ever picked up weights genetically and see where they started. So the mistake I made is I didn't know genetics couldn't be overcame by science. I didn't know there was a limit. I knew you could maximize your own genetics, mm-hmm. but I thought that I had the genetics because I had the smarts and I was six foot and, you know, I, I you know, whatever. I had 19 three quarter inch <laughs> arms. I thought that I was big, you know, and I was hard yeah. four, but I learned I didn't have it. And, uh, that was the hardest thing I ever had to, uh, I ever had to, uh, overcome was that. But yeah. the next day when I saw the pictures in the magazine, with my parents, and I started bawling my eyes out. I, I don't mind saying it because I just wanted to be him, the guy who was the athlete, the guy who everyone was idolizing, the guy who had the blonde hair from California. That's how he looked, and I was the geek with the glasses and the clipboard. I wanted to be him. Otherwise, if, if they told me back when I was 14 that lifting all these weights and taking all these egg whites and finishing my university degree, that I would be the nerd, I never would have done it because I never, ever, everyone lied to me along the way for from 14 years of age onward. They just said, you can overcome it. You can do deep breathing squats and pullovers, superset it and maximize your rib cage. And you can do chins and you'll get that V taper and all this, all these lies. <laughs> yeah. So the next day I turned the page because my parents were so proud and said, we've never had anyone in our family that was in a magazine. I realized yeah. Uh, I could turn that um, obsession into the business side of it and I could make a good living doing that and I could love I could still be in my hobby I could be a pro card earner but a pro card on the business side of bodybuilding and supplementation and that's that's when I was able to maximize my uh, my 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 goal I could obtain the goals I wanted I just had to change my goals so I'm still making a living in my hobby I'm yeah. traveling all over the world. I'm meeting some of the smartest people. I I know Phil Heath. Like I know these guys. I don't. I'm not buddies with them. But yeah, <laughs> uh, met every rubbing shoulders. Yeah, I mean this is great. I've had a, a really successful. Uh, and, and I, I have a life that I that I love. Um, obviously, there's good and bad, but I think that was the hardest thing I ever had to overcome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when, and you've got so much hope in it, you've invested so much, and you've gone on for so long thinking like that was that was it for you. You know, that's yeah, that is one of the biggest challenges to face like that. But you've 
you turned it around, like you said, you know, there's, you're living a you're living a great life. I think there's so many people that would trade spots with you to be, you know, that are the hardcore, you know, fitness freaks out there that want to, you know, be rubbing shoulders with these guys and attending all the expos. So I, I think I think everything turned out all right, Scott. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. I just uh, that's one thing I thought I wanted to be like a lot of the people. I wanted to be in Venice Beach with a Joe Weider contract and like and all that stuff. Um, but as you, if you do talk to some of the best minds, or sorry, some of the best physiques in the world, and you ask them what they do, I still remember asking Kevin Lavrome, "How do you build traps like that?" And I said, "You know, I know the trapezius has a function to do uh, scapula rotation, scapula, like I, whatever it was at the time. I knew all the science of the anatomy of it." And I said, you know, and I know the fast twitch muscle fibers are a good response to this, and the fast twitch type 2A and type 2B respond to this, and the type and I said, what should I be doing to build traps like yours? And and I, his answer was, train them heavy. <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, yeah. I smiled and I laughed and I thought he was just being sarcastic. I said, no, no, no. Like I do dumbbell shrugs and I put them on the side, on the hands on the side, and then I do on an incline to hit the you know, the mid trap back. And, like, and I went all over it at the time I had read a book called Total Neck and Trap, the whole book on traps and the anatomy of them. And he said, keep pumping <laughs> Simple as that. That was all he had. I lined up yeah. in Windsor, Ontario, and I lined up for maybe half an hour to ask him that question. And then he signed the picture with a pen that wrecked the picture that I bought. And that was my that was my tip for driving four hours to get the runner-up from the Olympia's trap tips. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> so when I talk to people like Darren Mailing, like like um, Chad Nichols. Charles Palkin, uh, Charles Glass, Chris Aceto, Dave Palumbo, Hanny Rambod, um, these kind of people, I have a lot more respect for them than the pros because these are the people who make the pros. Uh, yeah. Frankenstein comes out of the lab, but I want to talk to the scientists that made Frankenstein yeah. because they're the ones who can uh, maximize your genetics, not necessarily the best uh, winner of the Olympia. I mean... Uh, it's the person who works behind the scenes with them that that really makes me impressed uh, on that yeah. side. No, oh, absolutely. And on that note too, have you ever uh, have you ever met Charles Glass? Yeah, I train with him. I train with him. I, anytime uh, I've gone to uh, Gold Venice, so we've set up a workout to work out with him, and we hire him because he's he's got a business to run. And uh, I learn something new every time. He's just an awesome. He's, in my opinion, he is the greatest biomechanics uh, expert in in bodybuilding. There's absolutely nobody who's close in the gym. Oh, wow. So he can take any exercise you do um, and uh, he can find a way to do it with your specific uh, biomechanics to feel it exactly where you're going to feel it. Um, the best you could get at the time, um, Joe Weider would sign up the top names in the industry and a lot of times that Chad Nichols would create the diet and the training program, and then Charles Glass would be the one who would execute the program with his form. So he's the form expert. He's an expert in form, but you don't hire Glass to do your diet. He can do it, but that's not his expertise. Uh, he's yeah. the guy who, if a dare mailing has a program, this is the kind of guy who could show you how to do each exercise in a way that's, that's absolutely unbelievable. And I, I have a lot of respect for Ben Pakulski, He's, in my opinion, the smartest pro in bodybuilding, and he 
absolutely flat out said there's absolutely nobody who is a better in the gym trainer than Charles Glass. And this guy's met them all. He's worked with them all. So I definitely think uh, in terms of the biomechanics and form, I'm not saying that John Meadows or some of these other guys haven't got something else that they could add or Hanny Rambot or Chad Nichols or, or Chris Aceto. They do all do great things, but I think you have what you need as a drug expert, you need a nutrition expert, and you need a exercise expert and a supplement expert too, a posing expert, um, each of these different experts in your camp. Yeah. Uh, and you see a lot more of that in MMA. You see a camp, you see joint lock experts, and you see striking experts, and then you see have ground people, and you have uh, – um, conditioning people. And these experts in their camp are what create these well-rounded fighters. But in bodybuilding, they kind of look for the Swiss Army knife trainer. And I kind of feel that that's an old-school way of thinking. I think they need to... They have no problem getting posing coaches, but I think that you could break down the process. In fact, when Ronnie Coleman needed to bring his waist in, he actually hired an ab trainer um, and he did abs with him six days a week. He just for an hour. This guy he did abs with this guy. When Jay Cutler was at, on top, he said I, he hired a stretch coach, and the person just came, and I think three or four days a week just did stretching, just stretching. But it was a stretch coach. Now he wouldn't have gone to Chris Aceto to teach him how to stretch, but he was smart enough to know he had to surround himself with different experts in different areas to maximize his performance. Yeah. Wow, incredible. I didn't know that he had to do that with his abs, that he wouldn't hire someone specifically to bring that down. Yeah, huh. absolutely. Here's yeah. a question for you. Oh, what okay. Do you think, <laughs> what do you think the most expensive thing was <laughs> for Jay Cutler when he was the reigning Mr. Olympia? What do you think that he spent the most amount of money on, and it's not performance financing drugs? Food. I'm gonna go with this. I'm gonna go with this grocery bill. It was actually massage. Oh, yeah, that's five hundred dollars yeah. a week on massage, two thousand a month, twenty-four thousand dollars a year on massage. Incredible, but I mean, I try to go for a couple massages a month, and yeah, those add up, especially if you are going to someone that you know is. A specialist with that and with work with bodybuilders and you know understands your needs and everything but wow that is something else yeah but the point is that you need to surround yourself with a broad variety of experts and yeah business, uh i don't want to be and i'm never the best in social media but there's people that we work with that are always better than i am at that uh i'm not the best at sales so my wife is better than me at that so she is the lead of that. I'm not the best with people. I forget names and faces. Very, just be, I've always had a hard time with that. So Dominic is at all of the shows that we do, Dominic Morrow, and he's invaluable to that. Uh, yeah. I'm not obviously a graphic designer. Um, and our Will McEwen was with our graphic, our art director. He was with Muscle Mag for 20 years, and he's the best that I know of in magazine design. And uh, in terms of writing, uh, Jamie Filer, you know, she's a kinesiologist with a postgrad in uh, in personal training, and she's the best that it gets when it comes to the science writing and, you know, the editorial side of our business. And a social media expert as well, and you're a social media expert as well, 
We switched to hire you at one point to help us because we wanted to get better. And so we want to learn from others. Uh, and if we are the, if I'm the best at any one area, then I'm not surrounding myself around people that are better than me because, um, and that would make me, you know, not as effective. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's the thing too. And focus on, focus on your strengths and have, have the experts take care of what, uh, Areas that you're, you know, that are, that are your strengths, and therefore you surround yourself with a winning team that way. And you know, it, it was a, definitely a pleasure of mine to assist you guys with your social media, you know, especially for the caliber that uh, you guys are. So, you know, definitely appreciated that uh, that honor to work with you guys too. No, it was great. So, you know, and if you could uh, start Muscle Insider over again with a blank slate, what do you think you would do differently? This is a great question, and I've pondered this many times. Uh, I think what I would have done is started with a social media community only. Um, and initially, what we did was we used a website I had called supplementgenius.com. I was the first supplement blogger in the industry, and um, I did this as a way of learning search engine optimization and staying on top of the research and the scams and the lawsuits and things. And my consulting business um, has been working with uh, probably 30 of the top sports supplement companies uh, since I started it in 2007. So um, I always had a really good revenue stream from that. Um, but And we launched, we previewed Muscle Insider through my website. I w and we set up a Facebook fans page, got the hype going, I should have got that uh, going and, and rode that out a little bit longer to build a larger base. We started in November 2009. We launched at the Arnold 2010, so that was only four months to build an online community. If I had had it my way, I would have uh, done about a year of online work. I would have launched a website and built that up, and I would have focused just on Canada, which is eventually what I did do and built that following and that traction online, then I would have launched the print magazine specifically only into Canada in the specialty channel exactly as we have. But I had, at that time, a business partner who had told me this is what we are going to do. And so I had no say. So I was, when it finally moved over to my ownership fully, that's when I was able to do it the right way, which was to use social media, build the community, stick to a lot of online, launched our website that summer, the first summer when I took over, and we moved out of the U.S. and just focused, focused specifically on Canada. So if I could redo it again, start off with social media, building our website, a website community with the social, email capturing and email blasts, events, and just slowly then launch a print product that uh, has timeless information, specifically in the supplement channel. That, to me, would be what I would do if I did it all over again. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. That's, uh, yeah, that's quite different from the, how, how it has happened, that's for sure. It's, uh, and especially, like, having a stronger take on social media at the start instead. I like that. <laughs> As a social media expert, I, I got to... I gotta like that way, but I mean, it all it all it all worked out for you anyway with the way everything's going for you guys. So I think it's only gonna go. You guys are just gonna keep just getting bigger and bigger and keep dominating the industry at the rate that you guys are growing anyway. So, 
You know, and I've got a couple questions here before we or my wrap this up here right away, but I got a couple questions here. Um submitted in and they are let's see which one you want to answer here. Here's one question. What motivated you to start up Muscle Insider magazine? And best advice I'm just gonna read off a couple here, best advice to increase focus to reach your goal, and best advice to increase personal productivity? Okay, these are all great uh, questions. Even as as they're one or two, it doesn't matter. I just wanted to make it really, just to grab a couple for you. Increasing focus, I think that it all comes down to getting enough sleep at night. A lot of people are sleep deprived. A huge percentage of the population do not get enough sleep. So I find during the day they're often caffeinated to maintain focus or they look at um, taking, you know, focus-type supplements um, or they just live off of Red Bull. (laughs) So I think getting enough sleep allows that. I also find that people who are, uh, when they get on something that they're interested in, they become very focused. So if they can try to find a way to get in a field that they have some interest in, for example, it doesn't have to be that you become a trainer or a contest prep coach because you love fitness, but say you love fitness and you're a bookkeeper. Could you find a way to do bookkeeping for a gym? Um, Couldn't you find a way to do bookkeeping for a, um, a supplement store or an online website or maybe a personal training company? But getting, uh, applying your passion, finding a way to make a living uh, on something you're passionate about, even if it's in a mundane field, uh, like say it is accounting, it doesn't mean you can't combine that. Um, years ago, I got hired out of school to work for Muscle Tech. And when I got there, there was 20 employees. And when I left, there was 220. So I was in charge of marketing and I worked there for six and a half years. And I did product formulations and all kinds of things. It was really an incredible experience. But we hired people who were educated bodybuilders. And if you found two people, one person had a journalism degree and the other had a journalism degree. And one absolutely loved bodybuilding and one was not into it. Of course, hiring the one that was really into bodybuilding, this would be a dream job for them. So I think Mm -hmm. you really want to find yourself get rid of um, the career that you're in that you don't have passion for and you'll have a lot easier ability to focus on uh, on the day that you have obviously you can write down your goals you, every morning you can prioritize highest to lowest importance in the goals and you can keep looking down at them or you can use apps I use Asana uh, that's a pretty good app that I like it's on my phone and it's on my desktop and uh, myself and Don McMorrow use that. That helps it's a lot. Called Asana. Asana. A S A N A. Oh, Asana. That's, okay. um, I found that very invaluable to at least showing uh, what it is that I have to focus on. Yeah. But, um, yeah. That's that, those are definitely things that I would suggest to use for focus. But uh, you know, the the bigger driver is, you know, when you have an exam, it's not too easy to it's not too hard to focus on the exam when you're in the middle of the exam because it has to and you know we have to do it or a driver's test i mean think of when you got your driving driver's license i mean you're pretty focused on driving because you've got to pass the test it's important to you so i feel that sometimes people are not focused when they're really not engaged they're excited about what they're doing yeah well that's 
Love it. Absolutely love it. And I got to agree with that. That's definitely a different perspective on that, too, rather than just the usual this and that. But I think that's definitely a different way to tackle that and get that focus. So, well, Scott, you know what? It's been a pleasure. And I just want to thank you again for coming on the podcast here with me. And Thank you. I'm sure all the listeners are going to enjoy this. So, without uh, keeping you much longer, thank you again. It's been an honor to speak with you, Scott, and uh, look forward to everything else that you guys are going to be putting out with Muscle Insider here in the very near future. Thank you very much. And, of course, I would not be a good social media person if I didn't do what my teacher, Mindy, taught me. Make sure you follow me at Scott Welch Live or at muscle-insider.com. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, I wouldn't be a great social media uh, consultant either if I didn't include uh, all of your handles when I uh, post this to social media as well. So we'll make sure that everyone knows where to find you and to keep up with you as well. Thanks so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Becoming Unfuckwithable. It's been a pleasure sharing this episode with you guys. If you enjoy it, don't forget to subscribe and don't forget to share this podcast with your friends. If there were some great takeaways for you, tweet me at BeUnfuckWithable and use hashtag BeUnfuckWithable and share your thoughts. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Becoming Unfuckwithable. If you believe you're unfuckwithable, go ahead and share this podcast.